Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am your co-host, Joe Hilliard, joined every week by the <laughs> delicious looking... <laughs> How appropriate, Joe. Uh, this is Dave Gurney. And as we have for the past several weeks, we have a special guest in the studio with us today. Um, this is a guy who I've met through, I guess, various avenues here in Corpus Christi, um, mainly as a musician, seeing him perform live uh, in, in various configurations, sometimes as a solo performer, other times with uh, his partner, uh, Josh, or Josh, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, anyhow, uh, I, I won't belabor that, but also a great filmmaker himself. Um, that, that is the truth. I'm going to have seen some of his films at the CC7D. It's a seven-day film festival we have here, um, and I feel like other venues over the years. But we're really excited to have a guy who is a, a committed practitioner himself here in the room with us. Welcome, Jimmy Wilbin. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, well, Jimmy's here today to talk with us about a couple... Uh, films by the same director. We're doing one of those episodes, um, and and we kind of had to scramble to do that. We'll maybe talk about that after hours more. Mm -hmm. But um, before we do anything with the films, yeah, we yeah. need to get that first part of the equation going here, Joe. David, Jimmy, I'm thirsty. <laughs> uh, we're going to drink a beer. We're going to open it up. We're going to talk about it a little bit. We're going to talk about a movie. Then we're going to review the beer. Then we're going to repeat. And that's the formula here at Beer and a Movie. It is. One that I'm very, very fond of. This is a first-time brewery for Beer and a Movie, guys. It's a Meanwhile Brewing Company. They find themselves out of, I'm stalling while I find because <laughs> I'm not You had just prepared. looked up all that data, and now you're, oh, man, what, yeah. what happened here? Uh, I'm going to find that. Uh, uh, meanwhile, it's a new state. Uh Austin, Texas. That's what I thought. There you I go. I picked it up in Austin yeah. while I took my daughter to talk. I hadn't heard, but I've never heard of this brewery before. I hadn't either. The can just uh, leapt out at me because it's a handsome kind of understated can art, but the it is Secret Beach. It is their IPA, and uh, it is a 6.2 ABV. My kids, all of them were home for the holidays, and I had picked up a four pack of this, had two in the fridge, enjoyed one already. I get home. My son had cracked open the other. I was happy that he did. Yeah. I said, hey, we're going to talk about that beer in a couple weeks on the show. What do you think? I'll let you know what he thought here mm. in just a little bit. So let's get this thing cracked Sounds open. Sounds good. A good old IPA. doesn't say any kind of frills or there's no milkshakes. There's no uh, fruiteds. There's no imperial. It's just going to be a uh, delicious IPA for us to enjoy while we sink our teeth. Into our first film. This this is going to be a pun filled episode, isn't it? it? It's just I've gonna, been preparing. Yeah, <laughs> I should have been preparing. But. Um, well, the the reason why Joe keeps talking about how delicious I look and uh, that you know he he wants to sink his teeth into this thing is we are of course looking at the 2022 release of Bones and All. Okay, a film that's been much talked about on the festival circuit leading up to its wide release uh, here in the month of November in the United States. This is directed by Luca, I'm going to butcher the name, Guadagnino? Guadagnino? Yeah. Um, Italian filmmaker mm -hmm. who um, has charmed American audiences, global audiences for, for even before American audiences, but I think American audiences most recently with um, the, uh, the film Call Me By Your Name, mm -hmm. which Spoilers, folks. We're going to cover that in the second half. Yep. It's, it's a perfect pairing in many ways. Um, 
but uh, now coming back to big screens with Bones and All, which is another love story. Well, let's not ignore the film in between, the Suspiria remake. Sure, yep. And he did a series for HBO as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's, he's an active guy. He's, yeah. he's putting out a lot of stuff. Um, but this one bringing him back together with Timothy Chalamet, who, who was in Call Me By Your Name, uh, also bringing in Taylor Holland into the mix, who I was not as familiar with here. And I know I've seen a little bit from her, but never a role this meaty. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, they play these young lovers. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to take it right from the beginning of the film, but essentially two people who are outsiders who meet each other. And the reason they're outsiders is that they happen to be compelled to consume human flesh. Okay? Yeah, you get the idea that the film's setting up a universe where there is a subspecies of humans yes. that is right. this way. And they can, uh, with training, I suppose, or maturity, even smell one another from long distances. Yeah, some of them extremely long distances, yeah. it seems. Um, but where we pick up the film is uh, Taylor Holland's character, Marin, very young, teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, w- we see an incident go down where she's invited to a slumber party. She um, gets close to one of the slumber party participants and ends up taking a bite out of that slumber party participant. That sends her on a, you know, sort of fleeing the town with her father. But then we jump very quickly to where her father has abandoned her Mm -hmm. upon her 18th birthday, leaving her to her own devices, kind of saying, I know that something's up with you. Leaves her a tape with a longer story of what it is that he knows is up with her. Um, And leaves her her birth certificate. So she now has information about her birth mother that she had never had before, never had a relationship with kind of turns into a road movie of sorts where she's on this quest perhaps to connect with her mother or at least find out what happened there. Along the way, that's where she meets Timothy Chalamet, Lee, um, the character. She also meets several other characters. We, we get introduced to this world of eaters um, as, uh, as one of the first who she meets, Sully, played by Mark Rylance, mm. uh, puts it. And uh, th- that's a basic synopsis. And so we're seeing these characters, Lee and Marin, as they develop a relationship and also deal with this affliction that that they have where they are compelled to consume human flesh. That's right. The cannibalism love story we were all waiting for, guys, right? That's right. And not our first uh, foray into cannibalism. You remember, David, Jimmy, I'm sure you do, as an avid listener. Last week when we were watching... (laughs) I know what you're going to go to, but... Well, I was going to go to... We did just... This is unprecedented where two weeks in a row we are dealing with cannibalism on the uh, Beer in a Movie podcast. Sure. I was... You know where I was thinking. Uh, You and I... Was it your favorite film of last year, Titan? It was... Yeah. uh, Julia de Cournau, right? Her the, film before that. The companion yeah. film for Titan was her film Raw, which is uh, God. Some similarities: a coming of age, learning this about myself, and having this uh, desire that I cannot control. Yeah, and in fact, I'll mention uh, I bumped into an unnamed former co-host of this uh, program and mm. was saying that I went to see Bones and All, and that we'd be discussing it, mm-hmm. and he said I already saw Raw. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we might have a little conversation about which one we prefer. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, come on. Let's dive into this thing. Uh, put your bib on and let's tuck in. <laughs> All right. It's on. I uh, I don't know. I I, I really liked it. Um, I cards on the table immediately. Yeah. So, uh, cards. Uh, yeah. There's things I didn't like about it. Um, but overall, it, it was a strong outing, um, yeah. especially for a director that I really don't know that much about. I just know him from Call Me By Your Name. I've yeah. Been, mm-hmm. I, 
have yet to watch the new Suspiria. Suspiria. So, um, yeah. Or the HBO show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are who we are, I think. Yeah. I yeah. bet that we can agree around the table that the cinematography here is gorgeous. That oh, it, I, I agree with that. 98%. Ooh, yes. yeah. okay. So he has a little problem with that. I've, I'm curious. Well, let, let's go ahead. What, uh, what is I, it I believe that, Jimmy uh, is his own DP, so we should probably I, perk up our ears I'm here. I'm definitely not my own DP, but uh, <laughs> all, all the, the zoom shots. That, mm. that got me. I'm just not a big Zoom fan, so that's a, a personal taste, I guess. Yeah. But um, other than that, yeah, it was it was gorgeous. Yeah, um, sumptuous so. to look at. I mean, I think it struck me several times the production design on this, like the set design was set in the it, '80s. I don't think we mentioned right, which is, which is a subtle thing. It doesn't hit you over the head. You know, it's it's mm. funny. You see those films that are set in the '80s that it's like neon colors sure. and everybody's wearing leg warmers and stuff it's not that vision of the 80s that we get no though there are it's a great uh, setup because it's it's the 80s but it's kind of dated 80s like everything you see is from the early 80s but it's set in the late 80s You're right right so. exactly and that's kind of like run slightly run down apartments mm-hmm. that they're dwelling in because again these aren't people who are you know out there in society they're they're not going to be because they're trying to hide right there's a there's sort of a, a secret that they got to keep and mm-hmm. uh so that you know, yeah, the decrepit apartments, the the clothes they wear that are just worn. So I mean, there's really the a beautiful attention to detail mm-hmm. when it comes to putting the look of this film together, and right down to the characters and the way they carry themselves. That I was just you know scene to scene to scene, just completely enraptured with how beautifully put together from from my standpoint. You know, ugly beauty. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the, right. these kind of you know, right down to a lot of this stuff you see in the trailer too. So, you know, it's not, not huge spoilers, but, um, you know, I love that scene with, uh, um, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg and, uh, and David Gordon oh, Green, yeah. which David yeah. Gordon Green, kudos. Yeah. Right. I mean, here's a guy who I've known as a filmmaking talent for many years behind the camera and, Lo and behold, Creep. in 2022, mm-hmm. has been in two of my favorite films. There are my cards, right? This is up there. This is a. This what is, a is big the favorite. second film you're referring the to? The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, okay, yeah, where right. he plays himself. Yeah. <laughs> so not as much of a stretch in the first film, yeah. but this one he plays a creep. Oh, and just just by smiling, mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly. I mean, he has a few lines, but he's yeah. mostly just kind of smiling and and well, being sinister. On that checkbox of things, I imagine we mostly agree on. Jimmy's at 98 percent, but the first one. It's uh, performances, man. The performances here, I thought, were incredible. And I want to give some attention to Mark Rylance, who I think the last time we saw him was in... And something's going to have to happen for the Bammies not to... I'm going to make a revelation here. The worst movie of the year, The Bubble. Uh, He played that Google CEO kind of character that is funding the saving of, of the planet and the saving of the president there at the end. Completely different character. This guy was creepy, 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 and he played it so damn well. He's one of those character actors that can just slip into anything, mm-hmm. and uh, this is probably up there as one of my favorite performances from him. So. Yeah, th- this feels like one that needs awards attention, like his performance in particular, right? Like, right. I don't know that he could win it, because I think it's such a revolting kind of role that most people would just reflexively not want to vote for somebody for doing that, right. but at least acknowledge the feat that he pulls off because I agree like it was from frame one of the film mm-hmm. that he shows up in unsettling creepy just the way he was carrying himself certainly his voice 
his mannerisms, everything. I mean, right down to, you remember that shot towards the end where he's, you know, over uh, Marin and that little piece of oh, drool just yeah. like, yeah. oh my gosh, what a shot. <laughs> and then the third thing I wanted to bring up, because this is where I don't know if we will all agree, is the pace of the film. Mm-hmm. And Rylance is very important as a plot progressor. Uh, he is the first person almost that Marin meets while she's out on her own. Right. And, ha- and, and he, he has smelled her from afar. And uh, you're a girl who's out on her own, and I don't want you to get hurt. And he starts teaching her the rules, his rules anyway, right. of how often you feed, how to do it. He says, he says uh, we don't know if that's the truth. We learn that it isn't. But um, I, I only uh, seek out people that are basically on death's door so that I can get them right before they're going to pass from natural causes, older people. And then we see the, the, the first feeding feeding that she's allowed to have because all of the um, situations where she has fed prior to now have been these like instances where the cops are going to get involved and we need to move on to the next town, pack your bags, right. let's go. You just bit that girl. She didn't bite her finger off. She put her finger in her mouth like a chicken wing right. and then you take your teeth and you pull out the empty bone yeah. of the yeah. chicken wing. That's what she does with the girl's finger. And it is a compelling scene to watch. It's an upsetting scene to watch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're right, Joe. Like the 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 way she's introduced to this life mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in a formal way. Like she has the tape from her dad that she's starting to listen to that's telling her about her story and what it is that has made um, her behavior stand out to him over the years, and that you know, and what he's aware of. Uh, but but Mark Rylance is Sully w- when she meets him. That's the first time that she's really introduced to the idea that there are others like her out there. And he does. He has these rules. Like first thing he says, you know, first thing, you don't eat an eater, right? right. Like eaters don't eat other eaters. That's what he just calls them eaters, you mm-hmm. know. Um, he also talks to her about the, the smell identification, that sort of olfactory ability to, to pick up on the scent of other eaters. Um, and, and again, this kind of ethical code that he seems to have around who he takes as his prey, which she also, not so much in that moment, but as the film goes on, develops her own kind of sense of ethics around it, right? Because later sure. we see her when she gets together with Lee, the, the Timothy Chalamet character, um, that, you know, they start killing together, although it's really Lee leading those efforts. He's he's further along. He's a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Because she relies on him to almost teach her more ropes, you know. Right, as we though move he's forward. much less deliberate about what he teaches her. Right, I mean, he's more showing her more a I doer guess, and kind her. of okay, this is how I do it, um, which which causes some consternation, right? So let's, I'd love to actually just pick apart that sequence at the uh, the carnival or the or the fair, right, with you guys, where mm-hmm. uh, we see Lee and he's already taken down the guy who harasses that or is kind of drunk in the grocery store and it, although they haven't really fully connected at that point she just kind of sees the aftermath of that mm-hmm. but where we finally see him actually plot and take down somebody uh, a carnival worker somebody who's running one of the games at the carnival uh who he sort of we we understand feels may have an attraction to him he's able to kind of use that sexual attraction as a get sort him, of get him off alone way to exactly to lure him off after the Carnival Day has ended, uh, and then he brings him out to that cornfield, right? And you know, kind of tells uh, Marin to hang back, and you know, just wait a minute. Now she comes 
to the cornfield and sort of hears the grunting that's going on. And we see that they are engaged, like, you know, essentially uh, Lee is giving him... Uh, folks, I, I strive for the best... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Possible explanation: a reach around, okay, uh, <laughs> which uh, for, in the cornfield. So it's essentially jacking him off from behind. And <laughs> is that what that is? Yeah. I, thank you for clarifying. I thought so. You right. know, uh, I thought you were getting, sure. getting something off the top shelf. And how her reaction to that was? She repulsed by that? Was it the sexuality? Was it the act of eating the human what was it like i detected there was a repulsion well, and also there. the way that he dispatches the guy he uh, slits his throat but, as he's coming yeah. as he's about to orgasm oh coming uh reach over here he but you see the blood spray and then she is upset later you kill you kill well, later him. because she finds out more because when they drive off to his house because that's another thing they do is right. they go to where if he, lee has killed somebody he takes their wallet finds out where they lived, goes back to their place, will use maybe their home for a short time to be able to wash up, get some things. So they go to do that, and when they go by his house, there's a family there. There's a there's a woman there's a distressed, yeah. waiting for her husband to come home, or her boyfriend to come home. And that's where Marin really... But even in that moment where she just sees it, d did you detect a little repulsion there and how she was... Oh, I think so. Marin's seeing the world, this kind of world, uh, for the first time. Yeah. It's uh, fresh. Um, yeah, I, that scene alone, uh, kind of bothered me that there was no reason for the reach around. Uh, yeah. He could have well, that's... dispatched of him way earlier. Yeah. Uh, unless there was some side of like scientific reason that you're doing, like trying to get the blood pumping to, right. but other than that, there's, I don't know. Well, and that's what I, I was... it's, it's like, almost like I have to have this scene in my movie. Kind of thing. And, <laughs> okay, that, now I get I get that from a filmmaking standpoint. That's a good point. So it it does make it a more salacious kind of scene. Maybe right. maybe have a little more titillating kind of aspect to it. Um, I guess I was thinking even more like on a character level. Could right. I could I make it make sense for Lee in terms of why he would go to that extent with it? Like, was he? Was that trying to show me that he was maybe sort of repressed in his own sexuality to some extent and that he was... Or just am bisexual, like just pansexual. Just anything goes in this lifestyle of vagabond killing yeah. and interactions that it requires for me to get my prey yeah. to the... I mean, they yeah. did, nothing really comes of that. I really did what? think it was in that moment. The reason why I kind of brought it up is like I felt like it was a pregnant moment where mm -hmm. we're going to find out later that he actually has this sexual dimension to his eating, that he likes to have the person aroused before, yeah, or something like that. It doesn't like bear that. out that way. It, yeah, that never plays out It's a stagnant that. plot point that never, never yeah, goes anywhere. Yeah, 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 um, I mean, a vivid scene, but but maybe one that doesn't pay off in the way that, that uh, you would hope for it to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, certainly not for the carnival worker. Uh, it, it's, uh, I think, interesting in terms of its pacing as you as you brought up joe yeah i'd like to get back to that jimmy what'd you think of the pacing of the movie well was it a little bloated i felt like we could have lost a few minutes running uh, time i didn't mind the pacing whatsoever i i like slow burn movies that was not an issue for me um and mark rylance really helped as you said he was a framing device came in at the beginning uh he came in to you know usher along the the, the climax of the movie and then he came at the end mm -hmm. so yeah um and Mark Rylance's performance also carries it for me. Yeah. Um, so in general, the pacing is spot on. Yeah. I, I, nothing bothered me about the pacing. The thing I liked about the pacing, I think, when I when I started thinking, because I 
I too like a slow burn film. In fact, maybe I, I have the reputation uh, on this podcast of being the guy who, who will go to bat for films where nothing happens, supposedly. <laughs> First Cow being one that's emblazoned in my mind where I cannot understand how you two did not, <laughs> how you and Carlos were not able to understand. Anyway, <laughs> I could go on. But uh, so that doesn't bother me at all. But here, what I really think, I think it's, there's a purpose for it, right? I mean, this is horror movie material, right? I oh, think yeah. we could describe this as a horror movie and not be stretching the truth too far. But does it feel like a horror movie when you're watching it? So the the way it's plotted out is the first, uh, sorry, the way that it's plotted out the first act or so, yeah. it's very much a horror movie. The second act's kind of there. And it's not until towards the end of the movie that the romance side really starts coming out. Right. And everything that you see in the trailers is there other yeah. than the eating. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't think that it's, you know, it does feel like a horror. Yeah. But it, it feels... It feels like uh, if David Cronenberg and Stephen King um, decided to make an indie romance movie. <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. So. I, I like that. I, I was going to say, like, I think the horror elements are there. And there were, certainly towards the beginning of the film where we're, you know, we're plunged right into her biting the finger, doing the chicken bone thing like Joe was talking about. Um, you know, scurrying off, meeting Mark Rylance. Very creepy. Very intense seeing them feeding, seeing leader Like, I think that first act is very much horror, but there was a point where it started stretching out a bit more and it started feeling much more like a, a love story road movie and... Bad, you know, Badlands almost. Yes, a little bit. right, yeah. absolutely. Badlands, more so than Bonnie and Clyde, although I see some overlap there too. Well, certainly they're criminals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yes, but I, but I think Badlands is a good touch point here to to say that there is something um that this i think that the pacing in particular helps with that pulls it away from just being a horror movie like it it it, it for me as a film viewer at a certain point it became clear to me no the, the purpose here isn't just to shock me scare me make me deal with the unknown and the super like that's there no, but do, really you... this is a movie about outsiders yeah. people who don't understand their place in the world connecting finding each other and finding that kind of comfort and, and maybe even some version of home that they can create together um though obviously i think the conclusion of this film m makes it clear that that's probably not possible <laughs> uh at least not in these kind of extreme circumstances well there's like bad people in every sub <clears throat> bad people in every sub society of america and mark rylance is just a bad dude that had she not met him or had he not sniffed her out from you know, from that first bus stop, that their their story could have gone on and on until they get to a point in my mind where their criminality catches up with them. Because that's the thing is that they have they have they have opted to be criminals. But it's not their criminality that catches up. No, with no, them. I'm saying had they not met Mark Rylance, who who spoilers kills Timothy Chalamet uh, or stabs him in a and struggle, then, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Stabs him. That kills him as well. That yeah. eventually kills him. Um, that he, that, that that they would have kept moving forward, but ultimately they would have gotten caught. I mean, because they're 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 murdering people, and you know. Now I think it is interesting that the film very rarely shows affluence. That they're making their way into what seems to be poorer areas, where I think it probably helps them commit these kinds of crimes. Oh yeah. Well, to keep them 
under the radar, sure. right? I mean, like if you, if, sure. you, if you kill a carnival worker, the likelihood of the cops going all out trying to find the culprits mm-hmm. much lower than if you go after the town's wealthiest. You right. Know, the guy that has well, the beat up truck so, is easier. You know. Yeah. So the movie begins with her walking up the hill to go to the the richer people's house to right. spend the night that's right. and or to hang out and that's where she eats the finger and uh, I'm sorry eats it or chicken, she it, chicken bones it, that girl chicken bones it yeah and uh, and then from there you don't really and they she takes off with her dad and right they flee because the cops are going to come within a few minutes right. and after that you never really hear about cops or any kind of repercussions from this right the only thing is Mark Rylance so. right. Right. It becomes more about their own, like their own community, the sub community of the eaters and how that's the danger point. Right. right? It's like it's if you can live in this way, but it's really those other ones who are living that way, too, that are going to be the problem because they can smell you. They can find you. They know what to look for. They know how you're going to behave and and they're going to be able to track you potentially. Yeah. I also was curious as to why they just no knives and forks in this uh, lifestyle. (laughs) I mean, okay. now that's interesting. So it, it, I, you know, and it seems like when they feed, they ruin a lot of good shirts. Yeah. They're, they're in, <laughs> they're in such a, a state, which I think has something, I mean, there definitely is a connection between the sexuality and, and the eating that's going on because they get into this state. Like I'm thinking of the first scene with her and Sully where after they're just like stumbling out almost as if they're drunk or, you know, high on something mm-hmm. and they just have to sit for a moment and just kind of be and they have like the blood covering their chins and down onto their shirts. And they're just a mess, but they're not doing anything. You know, I think anybody else, it, you know, I guess non cannibals, but anybody else who's covered in blood is probably going to be trying to wash that off themselves, get themselves cleaned up, clean up the situation. They're just so, I don't know what it is, satiated that yeah. they feel it's, like. They it's just interesting have to because back. it takes a while for them to finally say, I'm going to go shower. Right. Uh, with, with Lee, um, with Timothy, right? That's his name. Timmy yeah. Timothy. Timothy. Chalamet. Um, <laughs> he, he does his whole dance, uh, listening to music and all this kind of stuff at the house before he finally comes down and says, All right, I'm going to go. Watch up now. That's right. That's so right. It, you, you're probably right. There is kind of a connection there with the this like sexual, you know, energy yeah. that they get. From Which it. man, the song that he listens to, he puts on kisses, lick it up. Yeah, yep. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> what a, I, there's some funny moments in this film. I mean, it is. A, it I, I would not say it's a comedy by any stretch, but there are moments in particular that lick it up scene where I just. You know, my eyes were wide open. My mouth is up. I'm like, what is going on here? What are now? It, it kind of comes down, and it, it, but that was a funny little moment that that they threw in there. I'm reminded of Leonardo DiCaprio. One of his follow ups to Titanic, uh, right afterward, was uh, Woody Allen's Celebrity. Oh right, where yeah. he plays a very different kind of character. It's very sexual, very R rated, and I remember going to see it. And mothers having to take their little daughters out of the movie because they just went to go see the next Leonardo DiCaprio thing. This this boy that I'm in love with now because you know you jump I uh, you jump I jump right. Um, I wonder if that happened now. Little, little girls <laughs> well, dragging their moms to go see Bo, uh, Timothy Chalamet <laughs> in a romantic uh, road trip movie. 
you, you know, I it's a head scratcher in some ways where you know we can maybe go into this further on during after hours. I but, hope so. But even before you got here, Joe, Jimmy, and I were talking, and you know, I said it kind of blew my mind because our original pairing for this week, you mm-hmm. know, the, just to put it out there, was going to be the Fablemans. We were going to do Fablemans and Bones and all because yeah. they were both coming out Thanksgiving weekend wide, and we double thought, new feature. Yeah. yeah, we'd be able to do that. Um, well, lo and behold, folks, at least in Corpus Christi, a, a medium-sized city, um, none of our screens have Fablemans, but three, at three separate cinemas, have Bones and All playing, mm-hmm. which blows my mind. Well, they're I both cannot. wide releases. It's just that Bones and All went wide enough to to call it a wide release. But it, it blows my mind because it's a Steven Spielberg movie. It'll be, it'll, it'll be here and what's well okay yeah. anyway well, n- next week's is locked we're yeah. gonna do Violent Night we have right. I don't think we've decided a pairing maybe we can talk about that yeah. in, in After Hours but yeah, what could screw, not screw us up but put a wrinkle in December is I still want to see the oh, no, and the moment that it comes out we will we will definitely cover it but it's just it, it it's a head scratcher and mm-hmm. as you bring up the fact that best case scenario for this film having big box office seems to be that people will go to it as a Timothy Chalamet film right I agree, Joe. I, f- I feel like, I don't know about, well, maybe that Teenage That cute boy girls. from Little Women. Right, yeah. My movie from date Bird. My movie date was my 17-year-old daughter who went for just that reason. <laughs> uh, she likes uh, edgy films. Uh, remember, she was going to be Patrick Bateman in, yeah. uh, as for Halloween. But um, she loved it. All the way home, she loved it. Oh, yeah. that was so good. So intense. Timothy Chalamet, he can do no wrong. <laughs> Dad, what did you think? It was great. Yeah, I, I, it was fine. It was good. Yeah, I, I, I was good. And I have, in, in tonight's conversation, talked about many aspects of it that I did enjoy. I think I'm going to come out as the one that liked it the least, though, at okay. this table. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Because so, we haven't talked about the ending. We haven't. Well, let's, yeah. Let's, okay, let's, why, let's, why don't we talk about the ending, and then we'll do verdict. Uh, David's already thrown his cards on the table. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, for me, uh, there was a song that played during the very end that that sucked the whole life out of the the movie for me, oh. and it like it's this slow piano song with like droning voice, and I just I it didn't match the movie at all, and it took out the the intensity for me. Um, Interesting. It's the whole movie I loved, other than the pan or the the zoom shots. Yeah. But uh, I loved every second of it until that moment, and oh. then it was like. Oh. I wish I could remember what. So was that. D- during the like this, this is, no, this is when uh, Timothy Chalamet was was dying. And, oh, okay, and, and she he's, he's like, saying to eat, eat him, me, eat me, eat me, yeah. bones and all, and the Love musical me and feed oh. or whatever he says. You know? right. Yes, yes, interesting. And it's this. It was this very melodramatic moment. It goes from being dramatic and yeah. and whatever to being just over the top. Now, I liked a lot so. of the score for the film. Oh, yeah. The, the, the score... Which we should mention, Reznor and Quite organic. Yeah. yeah. I, told, I told Savannah on the well, way home. Are two of my favorite film composers at this point, which is they do good a work. funny thing. Like I mean, I remember Social Network really loving that yeah. and right. and being kind of, okay, you know, maybe... It matches the film. The Social Network score is good for that film. Sure. Yeah. but And they don't have... It's not a one-note thing that they do. There is variation. Every project they seem to take on has yeah. a different sound to it. I'm not... It's not them repeating it's not a themselves. Danny Elfman type situation no no um but i told her uh, before i go to the the recording i do like to see if i can find the 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 soundtrack or the, mm-hmm. uh, the score and we did we listened to the score on the way home it's it's very haunting and 
I think again fits the mood that they're trying to establish here very well. Right. So, so the score you weren't happy with the I guess ending to, itself. To clarify, though, I'm also a musician, so that like immediately like, yeah. gets to me. Uh, the score I don't have a problem with. It's yeah. it's the soundtrack, that final yeah. like, uh, song in the movie. Right. Um, just sucks the life out of it. But um, but in terms uh, of the actual like the story itself, yeah. it's fine. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, he dies. She uh, spoiler whatever. Yeah, um, we, we've we've explored. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the final shot too um, of. Uh, a zoom shot of them sitting on yeah. the hill or wherever like a, it was. Yeah, hill, yeah. top of a hill, cliffside, something. Yeah. Is it yeah. in Kentucky? I don't know. Probably. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I guess that makes up a little bit for it. Okay. It, it's a beautiful shot. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Zoom or not. What do you think, Joe? What? Do... <sighs> I um, I've wrestled with this one because there's so much about it that I did enjoy, but at the end of the day. It's not a horror movie. It's not a romantic movie. Although it's trying to be all of those things. We didn't talk about Chloe Sevigny at all. Or we didn't talk about the movie. Yeah. She only shows up in that one scene. I didn't but recognize yeah. her. Well, I did as soon as I saw I her. I did not recognize that. I don't really? know. Yeah, I guess because I was concentrating on the idea that she had lost her hands. She's, yeah, she's I, her mother. I didn't look up and see her face That's until it. about a few minutes. Oh, in, interesting. So. Yeah. I... I she does find her you mother and her okay. mother has checked herself The reason into why her. I was actually clued into it being her is earlier you see childhood picture, um, a picture of a younger version of her mother when she visits the grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I thought, is that a de-aged Chloe Sevigny in that mm-hmm. picture? <laughs> and so as soon as I saw the, her go to the asylum, and she said, I'm like, yep, that's Chloe Sevigny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she goes to visit her mother. She's trying to learn about herself. She's trying to learn, get answers about this whole thing. And we learn that um, the mother has, uh, has, it, it's put her into an insane asylum. The idea that she's had to wrestle with this basically her entire life. She's also, we, we are too led to believe, eaten her own hands, uh, probably while in confinement mm-hmm. and hungry or needing to feed or whatever. Um, then the mother waits for her do- her mother, who is over there, kind of like you know, incoherent. We don't even know if she's aware of anything going on. A nurse comes in and delivers a letter to the daughter that the mother wrote when she first got there, in case the daughter ever showed up. She reads the letter; it's read aloud to us. And then the moment that um, the letter's done, you get the jump scare of Chloe seventy alert and attacking the daughter I'm assuming to kill her to put her out of well, her well the letter misery. kind of ends by saying like and that's why I have to do this and right. then she ju- like th- she made this decision 15 years ago if she ever comes to visit me I don't I'm want you go. to be crazy I didn't like, like that I'm glad that we're bringing this up yeah. because I that was the one thing that I actually on the car ride home talking with Aaron about it I was like you know the one thing that I really felt like like it was too clean this idea of like 15 years in the making this plan to like I'm going to attack and kill my daughter the moment she walks in she's supposedly on all these drugs and be you know like and she seems that way when you first come into the room but oh I'm going to hide it and then 15 years later be able to just pounce and take her down in a moment's notice if you're goal oriented if it felt too (laughs) felt too convenient there I, I agree that the conceit is is large for that one. Yeah, but, but at some point I was asking myself, what what is the point? Is cannibalism? And, and David, you've already. Uh, I mean, I know your rebuttal already because you've given it to us. The cannibalism in Raw is clearly a metaphor for coming of a literal coming of age, literal social anxiety. Yeah. Um, and and you can go back to that episode and and listen to it. Uh, it's a good episode. We're talking about what eventually becomes two out of three of our favorite film of the year. 
I think Carlos's favorite film of that year was Pig. If I remember, yeah, it might be. Um, I I'm grappling with the point of it all. There has there's a larger meaning here that the director has not conveyed to me. And it could be a second viewing that gets me there. I would like to have a second viewing. I enjoyed uh, re-watching the film we're about to talk about. Not re-watching, watching for the first time. The film we're about to talk about, I have not seen Suspiria. This is a director I am not as involved with as I need to be. So I don't know if I have a hard verdict. I didn't hate it. Yeah. But I didn't love it like you're like it sounds like you're saying. Okay. And I'm not sure if I'm all the way there of what the movie itself means, but uh, the title is Bones and All. Yeah. They have a conversation about the first time you eat the body, bones and all. Um, is and bliss. Then at, and at the end, he says, eat, eat me, bones right. and all. Um, and then the whole time, uh, and we've touched on this this whole thing of the, the sexual energy that they yeah. get from it. Yeah. I think that there's something connected through all of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think you're right. And I so and the one thing it's that... Fi- we, bones and All is finishing. Like, like you might be feeding, fully consuming, but you have the idea that you yeah, right. have fully consumed this other being. Right, that you've taken that. You've eaten, but you haven't gone to Hawthorne. Yeah, <laughs> right. There you go to connect to another recent film. Right, um, you, you know, I think there's one other shot in there at the end, right at like between the hillside, cliffside, whatever that is, and the you know him asking to be eaten and her seeming to be getting towards Start. obliging, yeah. right. Um, there's a shot of just the apartment clean, abandoned. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I took that as, yes, she did go bones and all. Right. She took everything. She ate all of it, probably even all of Sully. <laughs> but that, that she actually consumed all of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more importantly, Lee. And then seeing that moment on the, you know, I think seeing this, like, it's always with her. Right. There's this idea that this relationship as much as it was fleeting and it was only a moment in time mm-hmm. was going to be you know fundamental like foundational to who she was as a person and she would never lose that i think that was sort of was conveying i mean i think this operates in the realm of metaphor as well i don't i don't think guarino or um the, the who was the novel author i should have mentioned that earlier but this is based on a novel by uh camille DeAngelis mm. and um but, I mean, I think they're putting it out there. Yes, as metaphor for coming of age, at you know, get coming into one's own, um, but also this idea of outsiderness and and you know, like the people who are pulled towards certain. And it's one thing if it's you know, like we we've seen these films when it's people getting in pulled into like maybe a musical subculture. You have like young punk fans getting it, you know, or the. But this sort of puts it into a place where it's like almost uncontrollable, right? I mean, like because I think somebody can see like a. You know, I'm trying to, why am I blanking? I'm thinking about, you know, but like a, a film while I was watching that Pistols series, the Danny Boyle uh, Sex Pistols series. And, you know, there, there's a relationship element to that. And like thinking about like people getting into this, well, this is a choice they're making. They want to play music this way. They want to look this way. Fashion, style, mm-hmm. right? This is a compulsion. This is something these people don't seem to be able to control as yeah. much as they might want to. And as much as we get a hint that maybe they could have, because they seem to be living blissfully there for a moment yeah. w- when they go to Ann Arbor and they're you know living mm-hmm. in that apartment before Sully finds them. Um, but it's very fleeting. Otherwise, they, they have this thing that they seem to have to do um, that they can't avoid. It's like an essential part of themselves. 
So I, I think I think it's getting to that idea that there's something in all of us that's that's undeniable, right? I mean, I think there's there's parts of us like we can push to the side or we can try to diminish or whatever, but then there's some fundamental part of us that always comes out. And if we can connect with those others of us that maybe have some of that too, that that's going to be a more authentic connection, a stronger connection. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm reaching, but that's that's what I get out of it. Reach around. <laughs> what, what did Aaron think? About the reach around? I don't, David. That's for after hours. Okay. I'm talking about the film that y'all saw together. Oh, I, she she enjoyed it. Okay. She she liked it, but yeah. she but she you know because cannibalism is like a um, a line we don't cross. It can be. I had a uh, a conversation with a recent guest Sean McLean, and it was I don't dig on cannibal films. Mm-hmm. I said, Oh, you don't like Silence of the Lambs? He's like, But that's not, oh yeah. And you don't like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's like, oh, were they cannibals? You don't remember the scene with the old man at the dinner table? <laughs> uh, clearly, they, oh, yeah, you're right. Cannibalism. Well, when it's used as an element of the uh, monsters. Yeah, it's, the, a, it's a B here, or C sub point. Here there are uh, monsters. Fava beans and a nice Chianti. We, 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 we're alluding to the idea that, right. but that he did these things. Here it is on full display. And I think that it's a line that... Um, Will hurt the box office actually because it's one of those things that I, I don't want to go see that. Right. You know, I'll go. I'll go see X or Pearl, but but cannibalism. You've just gone too far. And it, yeah, which which makes it a horror film essentially. Yeah. To me, but clearly not because it keeps getting screened at and more theaters. So. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know, well, it had a wide release. I think that's the strength of Timothy Chalamet's name and Timothy Chalamet's name alone. And the concept, perhaps, is this going to be something that people will bite on? And uh, I, I, I don't haven't looked at the numbers. How did it do in the it week? Didn't I don't do know. Incre- I don't know that it was expected to do much better, but yeah. it's. I think it's made about five million. And we're still in, in the post-COVID. We don't even know what the hell box no, office. I think means we're anyway. pretty back. I mean, it was a disappointing weekend overall, from what I saw mm-hmm. in in terms of like the Thanksgiving. Did Wakanda continue to suck up all the money? I imagine. I think it continued to do fine, yeah. but that, yeah, not, none of the new contenders came along and really opened up the way they were hoping they would um maybe with the exception of glass onion which got a limited release yeah people are enjoying that um so i i agree with you joe i think this is gonna have there's limitations on the audience for this just on the basis of the cannibalism being a, a prominent element of it um and that makes sense i get it it's it's a taboo it's something and it's certainly in my everyday life it's nothing i would ever want to encounter mm-hmm. but in terms of you know a, a fictional world giving us a way to starkly render what it means to be an outsider and how it would be to try to operate in a world with this kind of thing i appreciate it i think i think it did it well i think i do come out maybe the strongest as an advocate for this film i really did i mean i i think it it looked great it sounded great um, and I think that the performances were there, especially Ryland's. Like I said, I will mm-hmm. I will be happy, head over heels, if he gets a supporting actor nom um, for the Oscars or, or, maybe, or any of the yeah. independent spirit, right. whatever. Um, and if he wins, I'll I'll be clapping enthusiastically. He deserves it for his performance alone. Mm-hmm. I think people should seek this out. I think Taylor Holland does a great job too. So the, the, Chalamet, I feel like Taylor Russell. Taylor Russell, sorry, sorry. yes. Um, thank you for the correction. Uh, Chalamet, I think, is fine, but I feel like he maybe skates by on his charm, his looks, <laughs> I see. a little bit more. Than, well, and, I, and I'll say that's in contrast to the film we're going to talk about in the second half. 
where I feel like there's more acting going on there. I, 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 I Jesus, I can't speak. I'm in complete <laughs> agreement with you. Okay. I think he didn't really bring much to the table with this one. So I, I didn't just bring that up. We kept talking about violence. And I thought uh, Taylor Russell, I almost said Holland, yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did an it. amazing job also. Yeah, um, yeah. And of course, uh, Michael Stalb. Stol- oh, Stuhlbarg, Stol- yeah. Stolberg. Yeah, um, he's great. Anything he shows up in, he's one of my favorite actors. You're right. He's, so. you know, he's kind of crept in there for me too. Where now I'm just excited to see him when he shows up in a project that usually means that it has some merit because he doesn't pick bad ones. It doesn't seem. I could see. Uh, let's hope that Mark Rylance does get that Oscar nomination, and then I can yeah. see you preparing a steak tartare, and <laughs> in the event. That he wins, you just just consume the whole thing. Oh, that's I'll do that while sitting on my secret beach, sipping this meanwhile brewing company. Well, I was gonna say that this cannibal, the cannibals in the film have a lot of secrets to keep. You never let me have a fucking beer segment, <laughs> oh, dude. You have every just single beer. God damn beer segment. You have every single always, beer segue. No, I'm serious. You step. You've stepped on my beer segues several weeks in a row. Let's go. Okay, what's yours, David? I'm sorry. Go for re- it. Re- repeat yours, please. No, it's it's dead. Secret Beach by Meanwhile Brewing. <laughs> Jimmy, I'm sorry. Just sit there in your discomfort. Do I need to leave? Or? No, no, no. Stay here. Stay here. Stay here. It'll help uh, us uh, smooth things out a little more quickly. We haven't gotten a fight in a real long time, and maybe it's time. <laughs> Meanwhile Brewing out of Austin, if, uh, you know, as close as we are to Austin, you'd think one of the three of us would have you know, been tapped into this brewery. Yeah. We weren't. I'm glad that we got there because this IPA, I'll go first, very hoppy in a way that I enjoy. Yeah. Fantastic odor, fantastic odor, fantastic aroma. It's, it, it you can smell it. From looks half great mile in the glass. <laughs> There's the tie-in. I kept going. Thank you. I kept going back uh, for another pour again and again and again. I I, I don't drink beer much anymore, so sorry. Uh, but well, thank you for but, indulging us. But IPA is one of my favorites. It oh, still nice. is, um, and it I I. I take all the hops. Just give me all the hops. Yeah. So. You'd order this if you found it uh, on Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, I'm impressed. As, as a first visit to Meanwhile, um, I, I'm excited. I, I think that this is a very um, on-point IPA. Right. It just it feels perfectly dialed in. It's got the right amount of bitterness. It's not going over the top. Like It's not trying to pound my taste buds. It, it has a little bit of citrusy flavor in there, a little bit of pininess, mm-hmm. sort of like a dankness to it. I I think the body is nice and light, easy to throw back. Like Joe said, I kept filling my glass back up as we were drinking it. Uh, th- this is uh, this is definitely a high performer for me. I'm, I'm excited uh, at what more will come from Meanwhile in the future for us. I would like to read... Uh... They have a little segment on their can here. Uh-huh. We taste, and here's the flavors: marmalade, blueberry, the citrus, yeah, eh, blueberry. I don't know. The devil's lettuce. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I get the dankness. Love it. Yeah, love yeah. it. Love it. All right, have we made up already? I think so. I was kind of kidding, but David, ca- not. call me by my name <laughs> when we come back. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> Harold just really outdid himself last week. That was a good one. Uh, <laughs> Pin the needle. 
so so we're back. We're going to talk about. We already said uh, another Luca Guadagnino film. <laughs> Massacring his name. That's how um, I say it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we are going to get beer in our glasses though first, and this is a beer that I've actually had in my fridge for a couple months now, and. Apologies to the brewery because I know it won't be probably at its freshest, and that was my intent when I brought it back from my road trip back from Maine uh, back in August. This was when I stopped in Memphis at Wiseacre Brewing. They were a wonderful place to visit. I would highly recommend anybody who is swinging through Memphis or, or spending time there to, to seek them out. They also had some great pizza, just FYI. Um, but, but the beer I had was excellent. And I decided to bring back this IPA. It's actually a, as they describe it, a hazy, double, juicy IPA. They call it Puffle. They brew it with Nelson Sauvin, Citra, and Mosaic hops. It is a 9% okay. double IPA. So we're, so we're moving up a little bit in ABV. Um, hopefully the hop is still, hopefully the hops are still there. I know it's been a little while. Um, but but hopefully I didn't do a, a disservice. I'm excited to have this one with you guys. I know it's going to be amazing. That 6.8 that the uh, Meanwhile Brewing, that's a nice range for an IPA yep. where you, I, I don't, it lends itself to not making too many mistakes. So I just wanted to say that before I tried this double, right. which you said clocks in at 9. Yes. All right. We will find out. So we, uh, like I said, like you said, David, we were going to do the Fablemans, but uh, not here. Coming soon, let's say. Uh, so what do you pair Bones and All with? Well, mm -hmm. Timothy Chalamet starring and uh, same director and Army Hammer in some hot water for potentially <laughs> having some Well, that's, that's that the weird I, thematic tie-in yeah. that I don't think any of us would have predicted uh, a couple years ago. Well, yeah. I'm going to go into this ignoring that because okay, I didn't okay. know that when this film came out. Uh, we could talk about whatever we want to, but... This is Call Me By Your Name. This film came on to the art scene or the award scene in such a huge way. If I was going to list all of the different film festival awards that this film won, we'd have a three-hour episode. So let's. Um, it, it was nominated for Best Picture. It did not win. Anyone remember off the top of their heads what would have won? Uh, that year? That year. That 2017? Was, it, it, 2018. The 2018 awards for 2017 films, yeah. I can't remember. I'll look that up once we get talking. But okay. it's the summer of 1983. It, but it did win. Did it win adapted screenplay? It did. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's the summer of 1983. Precocious 17-year-old Elio Perlman is spending the days with his family at their 17th century via in Lombardy, Italy. The, the title card just says somewhere in North Italy. He soon meets Oliver, a handsome doctoral student who's working as an intern for Elio's father. So he's living there in the house with them, the mom, dad, him, only child, and um, their two uh, staff members. There's a, a maid and a gardener. Uh, amid the sun-drenched splendor of their surroundings, Elio and Oliver discover the heady beauty of awakening desire over the course of a summer that will alter their lives forever. So he's uh, Oliver moves in. Um, he's going to be there for six weeks, it's explained. He's going to be the research assistant and um, kind of assistant in general to the professor. And uh, they are kind of pursuing the best things in life. Uh, great food, um, great touring, uh, beautiful vistas, and uh, along the way, they seem to fall in love. 
Yeah. Absolutely. No, th- good, good summary. Um, I was thrown off by the scene two part. But... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I just... You, no spoilers. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe likes to, uh, you know, he, the, the, Joe's very careful about when he uses the term love. He sometimes is it lust, Ooh. is it love, is yeah. it attraction, is it, you know, he's very fine grained when it comes to that. I, I'll call it love. I got the impression that they uh, participated in bones and all the two of them. So yeah, most I mean, definitely. There's some uh, def, definite def love. Look, first of all, this film is gorgeous it is immersive you feel like you are in italy strolling along riding your bicycle through the villas in through the fields uh in the swimming holes uh the food is just gorgeous and sumptuous and you can almost taste it as the family uh, puts out elaborate dinners and guests and that 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 part of this movie i just want to say up front i loved the immersive nature of this film yeah, I mean the landscape is beautiful. I mean, the, the, just the, the idea that they go out to dancing uh, with all the, the younger kids out in the out all, in the square at yeah. night, but you know, open air. Yeah, no, there's a, there's definitely a there is a romantic quality to just about every frame of this film. I mean, everything we see here going down, it, it's like uh, we've entered into a sort of dream world almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is. It, in contrast to Bones and All, right, which which I was sort Great. of saying, yes, right, it does a wonderful job of creating these kind of more spare and downtrodden and threadbare kinds of environments. Here we're seeing this kind of like beautiful historic, right? I mean, these old structures, mm-hmm. like, um, but just this beautiful vision of Europe in the summer and and the sort of vitality of young people as they're finding their way through life like and a, romance. Like, and like, a, like a devil may care, elevated lifestyle that mm-hmm. no one would argue with. My father is a professor and over the course of the summer and we come back for Christmas, we go to Northern Italy and just like partake of everything amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> that was, that it's was a, a very privileged life. Beautiful yes. thing to see. Yeah, these uh, college professors, Jimmy, you and I will never understand. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a beautiful film. I also, I, it's an Italian director, correct? Right. I'm not going to try to say his name. Um, but Luca, so, we're on first name basis. Hey, yeah, Luca. Luca. <laughs> yeah. But so I think he that's on the second floor. I think that's why he captures it so well. Uh, yeah. This is, I guess, technically his first, not first, but I guess most popular at the time American film, correct? But I shot think so. in Italy. Um, so I think that's a big aspect to why it comes across as. as amazing as it is because it's a love letter to his country mm. so. i think so you're right yeah he, he captures it very nicely he he, he knows where, where to put the camera and how to how to make everything uh fall together the way it should um you know you're right joe it i i this is a love story just like bones and all there there there's definitely a lot of parallels here um where we have two characters who you know, here not because they're outsiders as well in a certain sense, um, but not because of being driven towards you know this kind of eating of flesh or cannibalism, but instead because there is this same-sex attraction mm-hmm. going on, right? I mean, that's really at the core of this film. This is a film that has been both celebrated and, in some ways, maybe pushed back on by the LGBTQ community. Yeah, I read as much. Uh, it's. Thank gosh we can see a film that embraces this as, as natural and normal. Mm-hmm. But also some of the criticisms, I, I'm not equipped to maybe understand them all. I'll be honest. Yeah. I mean, I 
I think I've seen a variety of them. I think you know some of it has to do with the sort of um, that setting that we're talking about. This very privileged, very white, very upper class, very. It's it's a depiction of a world where this can happen without a lot of consequences. And parents, what if parents that are that's, uber understanding? That's right. the main thing. Is yeah. parents that that are completely understanding and. There's not really much of a, a conflict. I mean, other than them discovering themselves. So, Although right. they uh, do speak about like we, we should keep this a secret. A, a more um, about the township. Army Hammer's character. Um, yeah, uh, Oliver. Oliver. Yeah. He's the one that you, usually brings it up because I think he's the one that has more to lose. Yeah, I, more to lose, but also he's maybe not. Oh, he's he's accepting of about it, to be engaged to yeah. a woman. He, that exactly isn't going to be his lifestyle. Right. It's going to be a fling. Right. Okay. Right. Well, and we, and we also get indication um, that Elio is is not necessarily fully gay, right? I mean, like he has this attachment with Marzia, and mm-hmm. and it seems like there's some authentic connection there between them, and they've grown up together, and there's this kind of so you know. The, I, I think it shows people on a spectrum, right, of, of sexuality that we rarely maybe see in film. Yeah. And, and I think that's to its credit. I mean, to me, I do like this film a lot. So, you know, I, I saw it in the theater when it when it came out and when it was had that awards buzz and it, and it was an exciting thing. It really, you know, showed here like only a week or so. I remember, you know, trying to find, okay, I can make it. <laughs> it was one of those that was like showing like only two times a day and I had so but I remember really enjoying it really really thinking it hit hit a lot of uh great great things that I haven't quite seen at least in a film that got that wide a distribution that much buzz about it um and what I liked partly about it or in part about it was that it didn't feel the need to define these characters I mean obviously they were um, that was the conflict, if there is conflict in this film. And, and I think you're right, Jimmy. This isn't a film that's filled with conflict. I mean, this is, even for a coming-of-age story, this is a pretty placid coming-of-age story. It's not yeah. like he's fighting with his parents. It's not like he's rebelling against school or authority. No, everybody seems to encourage him to do what he does. He's a really bright musician. He seems talented. Mm-hmm. He's probably going on a good path. His pal Oliver is a grad student who's doing well himself. It's, I mean, nobody's really experiencing. The only conflict is the sense of like, can this relationship happen? To what extent can it happen? Is this something that we could carry on beyond this or not? Yeah, I appreciated that about the, about the movie. It's not like the gay is infecting this otherwise idyllic lifestyle. It's that in this life, in this um, home. It's very tolerant. Um, the 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 conflict the conflict is interesting. It's it, because it's not born or spoken aloud often. It's not am I gay? It's not should one be gay? It's mm-hmm. not it, some of those things that we tend to as an American audience certainly get hit over the head with. Yeah, especially in the past, it seems to be loosening up a lot. But rather. I maybe in after hours if I want to go into details. Do you remember being in love at seventeen, summer camp, or something like that, where sure. you just want to give it everything because it's so so important, and you are in such a formative stage of your own life where you're feeling these things for the very first time, or able to act them out for the very first time, or embarrassed a little bit about 
how, how I, you know, what I do alone with my own body and and a peach and a peach <laughs> or in the case in the case of Itu Mama Tambien on the diving board or yeah. you know it's it's. It's, this movie is so lovely and beautiful for presenting, in my opinion, a story that is going to either bother you for reasons that I don't care about or that you can just be trans, like have this transformative experience along with the story. And that's exactly where I was. I, I enjoyed the lack of conflict. I mean, it's... It takes every... I'm sorry, Jimmy. It takes every element of filmmaking that we know, every element of screenplay that we know, and says, no, we're not, we're not going to do any of that. There's no first act turn. There's no third act, second to third act turn. There's no um, someone coming in by this point in the movie to be the... The, the inciting element of none of that exists. It's just like this lazy story about a six week episode in the beautiful place. It's not a lazy story though. And it's funny that I, because I, I think I'm probably come out on the low end. I, I thought this movie was, was good, but not great. I okay. Like bones and all better. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that what this movie succeeds at is telling what a lot of first loves are where you, you, you live a decent life, especially you know a lot of us. Had, we didn't have a lot of issues growing up, right? And this right, and right. your first love and your first heartbreak is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. That I can I can get behind the music yeah. that was swirling around at the time and the right. books you were reading when that was going on and yeah. you know yeah yeah. I mean, it's, this is a very this is very elite setting. This is very you know like people who are you know heady thinkers and you know and and involved in you know these sort of uh you know um archaeological excavations you know it's 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 got this kind of setting that that really is it reeks of privilege but i think what jimmy just said is right multilingual reading to one another at night right that that you know if there's something that's universal about it it's how how desperate how seemingly you know earth-shattering and important those kind of first moments of kind of awakening are in terms of that the relationship formation and sex too but i think it's also about the just the bonding and the relationship and the connecting with somebody else it's it's that but also he's he's so d- disappointed and, and disgusted by himself with his own like sexual awakening with the peach yeah. and other things and him finding the peach later and right and being embarrassed by it, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, he's like you don't think i'm weird or uh, and right. that's you know, a big part of that journey. Yes. Did me coming here uh, bother you? I mean, because he doesn't, he doesn't know the yeah. rules. You learn, you're learning the rules within these relationships. And right. The rules, pardon the expression, are so fluid because it's the rules that two people create, mm-hmm. not these universal rules that are in some kind of rule book that I haven't had access to yet. Right. Which I think actually kind of gets you into, you know, one of the, one of the things. So okay, I want I want to think talk about a couple things here one is th- there's the age thing going on here mm-hmm. right i mean Elio, I, I, I figured it would come up Elio is 17 yeah which in most of the world is thought of as being close to the age of consent right i mean t- i know some places it's 18 some places 16 something but th- very he, similar to our licorice pizza conversation well there you go i was going to say actually if we want to go back now that's even that's a little bit tougher because he's 15 i think in that one but the, here we have a 17 year old now Fifteen in America, seventeen in Italy. Right, that's yes. a difference. The age of consent in Italy is much lower. 
Yeah, it probably so. is. You're right. Uh, so, so I think, you know, again, like from a legal standpoint, I don't think there's anything bad here. But some people would still say, well, look, what you're depicting here is a young man who who clearly in certain, like, I mean, we, we get that shot of him shaving, right? His right. Beach fuzz. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I mean, it did make me actually, I was rewatching this uh, for, for, you know, talking with you guys. I was like, oh, wow. I wonder if Timothy Chalamet will ever grow facial hair. That would be <laughs> An interesting thing to see him bearded in a film, but hey, neither here nor there. But but there are many little moments there that kind of indicate, okay, he's still a boy in some ways, but he's clearly, you know, again, he's he's coming into his own. So I think that that may cause people some issues with this film. I think it has. I mean, I, I know that criticism is out there that some people feel like I looked it has at the one star reviews at, and that's at what Rotten they were Tomatoes at. or Google or whatever, yeah. and it was. Uh, Clearly, Oliver is a predator. Right. I never got that impression. No, I didn't either. I, that, is, I, that is what you bring to the movie. And yeah. I think there's some other things at play in those kinds of right. observations. Right. It's, I mean, much like licorice pizza, it was the time. Well, that's true. That's I, true. I, I, you know, it's the connection between two people. It was the time. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. I. And place. Was it right? I don't know, but it was the time and, and the place. Well, and, so. and again, like seven, I, I believe Oliver's supposed to be like probably in his early to mid twenties. Twenty four is twenty four. Okay. Reading online, so I mean, you know, seventeen and twenty four. It doesn't to me that doesn't put me off, and I and it, and it makes sense to me, even though I think when they were making this, Army Hammer was probably closer to thirty. And he does look a little bit older. I understood, like, well, he's a grad student. He's doing the, I don't, I don't know. It felt more like he's still a student. Mm -hmm. He's still doing his thing. Um, so that that didn't put me off. But I understand that that is a barrier for some people. And, and I get that. And I want to, you know, but I think more importantly to, to get back to, the, you know, something that we, we touched on a little bit. I just love the depiction of sexuality here where it doesn't force us to label things. It doesn't force us. And even as much as they struggle with it, there's something about this authentic connection that they have that I think is very, it, it, to me, it resonates. And beyond that, I think what really seals it for me is that final scene with him and Michael Stuhlbarg, who plays the father here. That is the best scene in the movie. I agree. and it, But it's a scene that like solidifies what an important kind of movie this is. Because it's so funny, I felt it was a little on the nose. Okay, well, I, I'm stuck. I I don't know. I, both, I, I like both the when scene. I saw it the Fantastic first. Both acting. when I saw it the first time, and when I rewatched it myself on a small screen, that it shouldn't have worked as well. Tears welling up in my eyes, totally just like you know, hitting me in this whatever like, your this thing kind of is, emotional center. Wouldn't you want your father to speak to you that way? Whatever your whatever your thing is, it's partly that, but it's partly like. The, that's where I get that window onto, you know, this is a special moment. This is a special experience for Elio because look, most people never get this. Most people never get to realize themselves in this full and this kind of unfiltered away as Elio just got to experience with Oliver over the couple weeks they had in the summer once they got to that, right? Like, and, and Stuhlbarg as the father here is sort of, you know, emblematic of that, like, I've never had that. I wanted it. It was something that I that I came close to maybe, but I could never actually be there. And they don't and I felt like the opposite. It didn't go on the nose. It wasn't like my dad took me he doesn't go into the details. He doesn't talk about what made it that he couldn't do it. He doesn't talk about if it was social pressure, a parent, whatever. He just 
look, I want you to enjoy this moment and it, and embrace it for what it was and treasure it forever because it's important and it's something beautiful. The same actor does a fantastic job because the coda to the film is that um, Oliver calls the family. He knows that they're there again for they go there for Hanukkah. Now all of the beautiful sunny vistas are snow covered and snow falling and ice on the lakes and that kind of thing. And he, he says that uh, I, I've been engaged. Now, before the parents get on the phone, because they've really established a connection with Oliver. They enjoyed him very much. You're our favorite uh, research assistant that I've ever had here, that kind of thing. Um, it's just Elio and Oliver talking. Because you never told me that you were engaged. It's, it's been on again, off again for two or three years. <clears throat> um, the father and the mother get on the phone, and it's, oh, Mazel Tov, uh, exciting, congratulations. And then they, they get off of the phone, and you see a look that the father and the mother have where it's like we have to be excited for our friend but we also are probably going to be a little bit devastated for our right son. right and I, you know the touches like that make me uh make that to me on the nose scene be a minor glitch yeah oh, minor I, definitely not a, a glitch in my opinion because uh, before that because i never saw the movie on the big screen it might have made a big difference i don't know but um most of the movie I was engaged, but not as engaged in this journey. But it, as soon as this conversation happens with the father and the son, that's when I was like, okay, yeah. glued to the TV. I get it. And, yeah. and yeah. I really don't know what it is about that. I think it's the director, Luca. Um, <laughs> he, <still> <laughs> he, he's really good at the quiet moments. Yeah. Um, he loves his shock value with peaches and, and I guess flesh and general, <laughs> but, um, but he's really good at staging the quiet moments and just letting the, the actors do their thing. Yeah. And there's that scene. And there's also the scene that's also, that could be very, for me, it was more on the nose and bones and all with, uh, Timothy Chamelay and Taylor Russell when yeah. they have the quiet thing on the Hill, when he finally tells her what he did to his dad. Right. And, um, right. So, that director just knows how to frame a scene, let yeah. the character or the actors do what they need to do. So many quiet moments that I, I, I'll be honest, I wasn't backgrounding this movie, but I wasn't fully engaged until I had to make the decision to be fully engaged because I saw there was so much subtle body language right. yeah. throughout the entire movie. Uh, and the where I reacclimated myself to being paying more attention was when uh, Army Hammer um, wipes down the seat of the bicycle. There must have been some cobwebs maybe on it. hadn't been used in yeah. a little while. And I'm like, why did he do that? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if that was a direction. Yeah. Or if that was just him trying to establish he's a little fussy or fastidious. And um, hands lingering as they, um, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a handrail or a stairwell. Yeah. Uh, flies buzzing in and out that I do not, I do think yeah. was intentional. It's a very sensual film. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I I agree. I you know, I, yeah. I do agree. He he does great with these quiet moments. Although he does give these moments of contrast. I think that makes the quiet moments play better too. It's like you have these weird like lick it up moments, or you know, here maybe the dancing freely to psychedelic furs, or you know, like th yeah. there are moments of kind of excess almost, but then they're counterbalanced and, and it makes those quiet moments even more profound when they come along. The dancing scene then focusing on the shoes. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. A cut to the shoes and the right. foot movement. Yeah. And then a cut over to the girls at the table drooling. Yes. Over right, the new right, American right. that's putting on this ostentatious right. show. It was just uh, well crafted. Just because you brought it up the last time, I'm curious. Music selection here, were you any happier with, with uh, Call Me By Your Name? or? I thought the music selection was, was perfect for this one. Beautiful so, score. Yeah. Sufjan Stevens, yeah. I was really... Um, I love the songs he did for this. I watched this one with a friend, and she did not like the, the oh. <laughs> those songs. But I know he puts people I, off. That's yeah. why, like, he's got that hushed form of singing, and he's very there's a romanticism. I, to what I he mean, does. I, I love him. So okay, yeah, that, me too. I'm a, I'm a fan. So I, that that honestly, that was part of the attraction of this film, knowing that he had done a couple original songs for it. I was like, okay, I'm excited here, and they really do like watching it the second time. And I, and I watched it with close ca- with the closed captions, <laughs> as I do with a lot of films these days when I'm watching them at home. And seeing his lyrics, I mean, these were written for oh, yeah. his characters in these moments. Mm-hmm. It's definitely bringing through in the lyrics where um, Lee, uh, not Lee, uh, uh, Elio is in his mind in, in these scenes. So, yes. and, so it's, and it's, sorry, I didn't. No, uh, the, the score also, just the piano yeah. throughout. Yeah. Which is basically Elio playing the piano because right. it's it's that rough piano playing that is uh, Timothy Chamele uh, playing. playing him, yeah, basically, yeah. I don't know if he actually did. This. Somebody else did it, but uh, there's a lot of shots of his head. Like hey. No, scenes, I know, yeah, I know. He yeah. learned songs for the movie right. and played those in the movie, but I mean the soundtrack itself. Mm. I'm sure, but so it has that same style, yeah. that same feel. So See, it's character based the the soundtrack, yeah. and that's what I really like. I don't know why, but I never saw this movie, and then. Timothy Chalamet did his little blow up dance with the uh, little women into Dune things. In this be- is part of the blow up dance. Oh yeah, for sure. things yeah. in between. But this is a star making film. I mean, that kid can act, mm-hmm. and he learned languages and learned some piano playing. I mean, that I, I've I'm very impressed with him as an actor. Yeah, as a young actor. Well, that's what I. This one, I feel like he brought it in a way that, or it it forced him to bring it in mm-hmm. ways that I'm impressed by. Whereas, yes, when when I see Bones and All, it's not quite as impressive a performance. I, yeah. mean, I think it's fine. It didn't take me out of it. But right. I, but if I'm thinking about like who had to like stretch themselves here or who had to really create something. Well, the female lead of Bones and All, yeah. maybe he made some kind of decision to let her shine because mm-hmm. her story was the one that was, you know. Oh, it definitely the, the driving is. Force. It's more her story. And right. Mark Rylance comes in to deliver the, you know, supporting actor yeah, he's the antagonist. Yeah, he's Bammies, sure. man. I'm thinking about the Bammies as yeah. we roll into December here. <laughs> it's, it's funny. We've got a lot of interesting things to talk about. Yeah, it's. It, it, I, I think, uh, well, it was It was fun to revisit this one. I'm glad we got a chance to, I, I think, uh, you know, as much as I'm, I was disappointed that Fableman's didn't come to us when it did, we'll when it there. should have. Yeah. Um, I was excited to get back to this one, and, and I think it stands up for me, and, it, and it's a film that I think I will go back to in the future and and be excited to see yet again so put it there well this beer from wiseacre i know we visited them once because i did bring back another beer and we did have that earlier this fall but here with their double ipa this puffle hazy double juicy ipa brewed with nelson Savin, citra and mosaic hops uh what do we think here I prefer our first beer tonight. Okay. Um, I'm not getting juicy. I'm. 
I, I, yeah, it's I'm, not bad. This beer is not bad. Yeah, yeah, Please yeah, yeah, do yeah, not yeah, hear sure, me say sure. anything like that. If I would have saw this on it's a tap, hard. I'd probably I've, get it to taste it again. I think you, I, I hear what you're saying, Joe, and I feel like I have a very similar reaction. I think with a double IPA, especially when nine percent, yeah, I think it's tough. You have you have to have such a malt base there to get to that ABV. Right, it's really tough to actually keep it in like a juicy citrusy sure. kind of flavors outside of right. that malt profile. Like I think there's a lot going on here that that points towards that, but it has that malt anchor to it that I don't think it can really be a hazy juicy IPA in it, the way it, that it didn't overcome. Right. So but I enjoy it too. The the first sip was amazing. I I, I mean, I give me all the hops like I said. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but after that, you know, settling into it, it kind of loses Diminishing intensity. returns, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I definitely, I agree. I prefer the first. Beer, yeah, but, yeah. But I I'll think come so. back to this one probably. Nice. Yeah, we just recently had it when we did Tusk on yeah. Carlos's last episode. That's right. We had their astronaut, astronaut. stats. Yes, yeah. Um, well, and I know we're getting some of their stuff distributed down here sure. too. I've seen a couple cans, not this, but uh, or the astronaut, but uh, some others that they have in their lineup. That we're not going to count Weizsäcker out then. No, I'm, I'm just going to say that. Um, this did not live up to the expectations of the advertising on the can. I guess it is hazy. It is double. It's got that nine percent, but there's not a lot of juicy here or anything else to contrast. The, uh, you said it perfectly. That that big yeah. malt bill. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, how can, how can you sometimes right they, they overcome that? But if people want the high ABV. They want. Yeah. <laughs> I you know it's funny because I do think craft beer has evolved to a point where people are less motivated by that ABV than they used to be. But God, just even three or four years ago, I I can remember walking into whatever it was, the brewery, the the, the sure. beer bar, the bigger, whatever, the better. and looking and just seeing like, okay, everybody's going for the 12%, 13%. I think a lot of people are coming back to where like, well, I kind of just want something that's really balanced and has like good flavor and all that. But I think there still is a little bit of that kind of like, well, yeah. can you amp it up a little bit? You know, as I progress through our beer journey here, I'm finding that I really enjoy the double digit ABVs with your darker stouts yeah. more than I am the IPAs. I, I agree. These days. I think I think the darker, this is not double digits. I'm going to be clear. No, but, but yeah. they're, they're getting close. Darker trying. beers definitely fare better with the heavier with the higher ABVs. Yeah, you can I think. do more with them. You can play with them more. Yeah. You can introduce flavors in a way that's a lot more subtle with the with the IPA. As I progress, it's like just give me that solid IPA profile. Yeah, that's the most important. Yeah, yeah. unless you want to juice me up and and then do a good job. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been fun talking about these films. Thank you, Jimmy, for joining us. Thank you. Much appreciated. Um, we're gonna hopefully you'll hang around for after hours. Sure. And we'll talk about that with the. With uh, our... I want to ask. I got a couple questions for you. Yeah. Uh -oh. Um, okay, well, I'm going to take off then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're welcome. Well, so, you know, the reason that I'm excited about that is that the best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation doesn't end with these episodes. It continues. It goes on to social media. We're there on Facebook if you want to find us at facebook.com slash beerinamovietx. We're on Instagram under the handle at beerinamovie. We have a Twitter account, though I think maybe we're going to deactivate that thing. I don't know, Elon Musk, whatever. Um, it you can join our chat on discord though and that's under the name beer in a movie the conversation continues and that's a fun spot lots awesome. of people trading different movie news music news just having a good time 
Um, Pictures of a random gluten-free pizza might pop up. That happens. Uh, We've also mentioned that we're going to extend this conversation ourselves in our Patreon subscriber-only After Hours bonus episode. And if you'd like to be part of that, just sign up at patreon.com slash beerandamoviepodcast. Also, we know you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, but before you leave, won't you please rate us and leave a review? We hope that you'll make it five stars so that the algorithm can do what it do and put us out there as an option for more listeners. You've just experienced another delectable Mm. new episode of Beer in a Movie. Until next time, try that. It's called Copper Fever. (laughs) 